Hello, everyone, and thank you for listening in with us today on our podcast, For the Sake of the Child. Our podcasts are brought to you by the Military Child Education Coalition, whose work is focused on ensuring quality educational opportunities for all military-connected children affected by mobility, family separation, deployments, and transition. Here at the MSEC, we want to ensure that every military child is college, workforce, and life ready. In our podcast, we will share your stories as we talk to military service members, professionals, parents, and military kids. Please like, share, and subscribe. And we appreciate your comments, questions, and ideas for topics that you would like to hear more about. Welcome, everyone, to our podcast, For the Sake of the Child. My name is Louise Webb. I'm a professional educator, curriculum developer, and researcher for the Military Child Education Coalition. I'm also a parent and the spouse of a retired military service member. Today we will be talking about the importance of sleep for children and adolescents. With me is Lieutenant Colonel Vincent Capaldi. Lieutenant Colonel Capaldi is the Chief of the Department of Behavioral Biology, Center for Military Psychiatry and Neuroscience Research at the Walter Reed Army Institute of Research in Silver Springs, Maryland. Lieutenant Colonel Capaldi recently hosted a live webinar for the MSEC, and we encourage all of our listeners to take the time to listen to this recording. My name is uh, Lieutenant Colonel Vincent Capaldi, and uh, my background, I'm a physician, board certified in internal medicine, psychiatry, and sleep medicine, and I'm coming to you today from Walter Reed Army Institute of Research. What we do at Walter Reed Army Institute of Research, we're the largest sleep research laboratory in the Department of Defense. We develop uh, solutions for warfighters in terms of how to maximize their performance potential through sleep opportunities. I have two girls, ages five and nine, and uh, they present a significant challenge. And I have been trained by various individuals at Children's National Medical Center here in Washington, D.C. as part of my uh, sleep fellowship. So I, I did additional training in sleep medicine, and uh, that's the information that I'm bringing to you today. Uh, the information that I'm going to be expressing to you today uh, is my opinions alone and don't necessarily reflect the views of the Department of Defense or the Army. I have no conflicts of interest to disclose to you. Sleep duration recommendations. Our newborns should sleep the most, uh, getting between 14 to 17 hours of sleep per night. Not every child is going to get exactly 15 hours of sleep per night, but we should aim between, if you're a newborn, Uh, Likely between 14 and 17, there are a few exceptions where some newborns will sleep only 11 to 13 hours a night. But in general, uh, the most sleep that we should get between the first zero to three months, we should spend much of our life sleeping, as we did in the womb. Infants, uh, likewise, should spend a lot of time sleeping, likewise with toddlers as our brains are developing. It's only when we get to uh, school age and teenage children that we start looking much like what we would expect for adults. But even so, then we should try to aim for longer amounts of sleep for these newly developing brains. So the most common issue that we experience in pediatric sleep is uh, insomnia. People endorse that their children can't get to sleep, have issues with curtain calls or resistance to getting to sleep. Only about 3 to 5% will have sleep-related breathing issues. If your children are, are snoring at nighttime, uh, that's, that's often a, a significant issue. Children, in general, should not snore, and snoring could be indicative of 
a breathing issue that should be checked out by a sleep specialist. Hypersomnia, that includes things like narcolepsy or another disorder called Klein-Levin syndrome. That is, is, is generally very rare. Uh, so if your children are falling asleep during the daytime, it's probably not due to some sort of hypersomnia like narcolepsy. It's probably due to them not getting enough sleep at nighttime. Other issues include circadian rhythm sleep disorders, like delayed sleep phase syndrome or advanced sleep phase syndrome. We see delayed sleep phase syndrome mostly in our teens and adolescents. Uh, so these people with delayed sleep phase syndrome will have a propensity to go to bed later and wake up later. Does that sound like a teenage sleep schedule to you? Uh, so uh, these, these children will prefer Unfortunately, as we go through in school, school start times, you know, my, my children, again, uh, six and nine-year-old, uh, their school start time is at 9 a.m., but I see these poor teenagers getting up and their school bus rolls around at 6.45, 7 o'clock in the morning. I'm saying, whoa, these are people that are having a, a delayed sleep phase, uh, so they already have a propensity to stay up later and wake up later, and yet we try to entrain them into a sleep schedule where they have to wake up earlier than the normal, maybe because of sport activities in these high schools, but it's, it, it can be definitely become problematic. Parasomnias, I'm not sure if your children have ever experienced something called sleep terrors. Uh, sleep terrors are uh, periods where uh, it's uh, called a confusional arousal, where they wake up in the middle of the night and scream and don't know where they are and are difficult to console. Uh, and uh, another uh, common parasomnia is uh, sleep aneurysis, that means uh, peeing the bed. Uh, up until about seven years old, this can be somewhat normalized. And it typically goes around the same time the parents uh, learned to, to sleep without. So that can be a, a difficult thing for children to work through, but uh, generally normal. And there are some behavioral techniques that can be utilized uh, to help children transition from uh, having issues with sleep aneurysis. Other sleep-related movement disorders include restless leg syndrome. This is often caused by a deficiency in iron. Periodic limb movement disorder, where children will um, move their legs at nighttime. Restless leg is where you feel the sensation uh, to move your legs, and moving them reduces that sensation. It typically only happens at night. Uh, whereas periodic limb movement, the children, it doesn't wake them up from sleep when they move their legs. And then there's another one called sleep-related rhythm movement disorder. Right. So the five uh, top, tep, top ten, sorry, top five uh, sleep assessment topics, of, of course, difficulty falling asleep, staying asleep, waking up in the morning, unplanned naps, right. Insomnia is frequent and persistent difficulty initiating sleep or maintaining sleep that results in sleep dissatisfaction despite an adequate sleep opportunity. So what typically children are experiencing, uh, we separate it out into different categories. The first is sleep onset association disorder. So uh, children, this, this, the prevalence of this is between 25 and 30 percent of school-aged children uh, or, or early school-aged children between six months and, and three years, so preschool children. Uh, or daycare. Uh, they have a delayed time uh, to fall asleep and nighttime awakenings. Uh, 
these uh, falling asleep become associated with cues. A cue must be present in order for the, the child to fall asleep. So for this, we likely uh, recommend a, a routine that's put in place uh, to help ch children associate uh, bedtime with sleep. That may include a bath at the same time on a nightly basis, um, Perhaps, uh, of course, uh, feeding, depending upon uh, how, how old your child is. Uh, obviously, at six months, you're going to be feeding the child on a regular basis. Uh, next, uh, limit setting sleep disorder. The prevalence between that is 25 and 30 percent, and this is between 18 and 60 months. This is up to five years old. Children will delay bedtime, and parents reinforce uh, this undesirable behavior at bedtime. So. Uh, Parent, they often the, the theme goes, parent tries to put the child to bed, and then child calls out. Parent immediately uh, goes to the child's bedside, perhaps staying with the child, going into their bed. Um, and that type of behavior uh, reinforces uh, the, um, the, the child's undesirable behavior, uh, and, and, th and that can be, be problematic. And for that, we use behavioral techniques to help parents understand uh, what are some ways to, to reduce this type of undesirable behavior. What type of undesirable behavior are we talking about? We're talking about curtain calls. So curtain calls are you put your child to bed, and they come out, and uh, they want to talk to you. All of a sudden, uh, they have the, uh, the biggest, uh, the largest uh, unquenchable thirst, or they need some food, or they are afraid. Um, all of these things uh, contribute to bedtime resistance. Sometimes children have crying or tantrums in a, an attempt to avoid going to bed. Uh, nocturnal awakenings in the middle of the night, so not just at bedtime, but afterwards. You'll have nighttime call-outs, uh, crying, these type of behaviors. So let's see about some options that we can use uh, to potentially mitigate some of these issues. So first, we try to identify uh, cues that delay independent wake-sleep transition. By that, we, we institute positive routines, including sleep hygiene training, perhaps taking a bath, brushing your teeth, bedtime story, uh, something that every night you repeat, night after night, and it becomes an established routine for children. Even uh, using the same parent, if possible, makes it a little bit difficult with deployment cycles, but establishing a, a bedtime routine is absolutely essential. Then there are various techniques to help your children deal with insomnia. The first is a simple extinction, extinction technique, or having children cry it out. Uh, what children can do is uh, you tell the child, I am going to bed, or, uh, or you're going to bed now, and then allow the, the, the child to cry it out. Often, if the, the child is trying to be with, weaned from using breast or bottle feeding, you can transition to using water in the middle of the night and providing a different parent. So sometimes the, the child will uh, only want to see mom in the middle of the night as opposed to dad. Providing dad and water uh, may allow your child to extinguish some of these behaviors in the middle of the night. Next is graduating extinction. Uh, so it's incremental uh, visits, so you tell your child uh, that, honey, it's time, time to go to bed. I'm going to 
make uh, prepare for for lunches for tomorrow morning. Uh, you then check back in with your child. You say you tell your child to check back in with you in five minutes, and then you, you check in and see how they're doing. And you just gradually it decrease the duration of visits and increase the interval of visits that that you give to your child. Next is uh, positive reinforcement. I talked about the excuse me drill. Uh, so what that is, is excusing yourself from the child's room and then uh, coming back in and, and checking on the, the child. Uh, another one is giving a bedtime pass. You, you want to reinforce the desired behavior. So uh, in, in my own children's life, uh, we have used a um, point system where they could trade in points for cash or trade in points for uh, various activities. Uh, and one of the ways they could earn points was staying in their bed uh, for the entire night. Um, next is uh, a child-controlled visitation, so a bedtime pass. So you give a child a pass and say, this is your one pass out of your bed. You can only use it once, and once you use it, you have to stay in your bed for the rest of the night. So having children having that control over when they can utilize a pass is often good. Fading approaches. So uh, one of the approaches to uh, encourage or, or institute your, your, uh, a healthy sleep habits in your child is something we use in adults. It's called sleep restriction therapy, or in children we call it bedtime fading. What that is is uh, say your, your child has a propensity to go to bed at, uh, at midnight. You don't put your child in bed at 8. What you do if you're using a bedtime fading approach is you put your child in bed when they're falling asleep at uh, midnight. But you keep them awake, put them in bed while they're awake at midnight, and they are going to be absolutely dead tired the next day, and you absolutely cannot allow them to sleep during the daytime or, or everything fails. So uh, they're very tired for the next day, and the next night, instead of they, they want to go to bed so much because they're feeling super tired, but you don't let them go to bed until 11.30. Then you slowly fade back in the time that you want them to fall asleep. Now this may take, it's not going to be overnight that you go half an hour uh, earlier, but over time your child will build up a sleep pressure that then they can start associating uh, bedtime with sleep and they will feel more and more able to, to get to sleep without as much of a fuss. So in school-age children, we're establishing limits. In adolescents, we're negotiating responsibility. One of the biggest issues that we experience in adolescent sleep medicine is dealing with electronics and phones. Oftentimes, it's recommended if your child is having a problem getting to sleep and staying asleep, that you take these electronics out of the room. Uh, no television in your bedroom, obviously, uh, and no cell phones in your room. They're charged uh, perhaps at the parent's bedside or, or what have you uh, so that the child cannot be distracted in the middle of the night and uh, that it doesn't um, impact their, their uh, sleep behaviors. So we have to establish sleep as a, a priority, just as food or water is a priority. Disrupted sleep in a child's life can disrupt a family. Uh, so if your child's not sleeping through the night, it can definitely cause uh, marital stress. It can cause stress in the life of the other children who are trying to sleep. It's important to have regular bedtimes and regular wake times. So just as much as the parents would like to sleep in until noontime on, on Saturday or Sunday, it's important if you are having problems regulating sleep in your children to not 
vary the wake time dramatically on weekends. At most, uh, sleeping in about an hour uh, should be the, the most amount of time that you're sleeping in on the weekends if you're having difficulty uh, maintaining regular sleep. Uh, no electronic media use within half an hour of bedtime. Uh, quiet time, as I mentioned before, quiet and, and closed time, um, and establish uh, an early evening worry time. So you, uh, you talk to your child, uh, and they have worry journals, things like that, 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 that children can, can utilize. Uh, disassociate things that have previously been associated with bedtime. So you need to break that association that your child may have where sleep is a frightening time, sleep is an uh, angry time, sleep is a time where they need to act out in order to get mom or dad's attention. What we look for are analysis of cues, whether that be clocks in the, bed in the bedroom, uh, lights, um, other things that uh, children start ruminating on sounds that you can hopefully uh, clarify for them. You can uh, talk to them about what sounds are, are there, or use um, uh, a sound machine at nighttime to help the children not necessarily attend uh, to those other sounds that, that you may hear at nighttime. The side of the bed test is a sleep state misperception. So your, your child says, Mom, I, I didn't sleep all night last night. And what uh, what typically that is, is is not your child not sleeping is that they they in the morning will wake up and say oh I, I, I briefly woke up for a minute and then they uh, misperceive that that was hours uh, so what we ask children to do if they're consistently waking up at nighttime is uh, put your your feet on the side of the bed um, sit up and if you're not if you didn't sit up in the middle of the night then you probably were able to, to sleep and it's normal for people to to briefly wake up uh, as long as they're able to quickly get back to sleep. We talked about circadian rhythm disorders, delayed sleep phase syndrome being the most common, affecting 7% of adolescents. So this is a, uh, a shift in your sleep phase to, to a later period. Um, so uh, you'll notice in, in uh, elderly adults, they have an advanced sleep phase. So what they will likely try to do is they would like to go to bed uh, early in the night and then wake up super early in the morning. And this is the exact opposite that we see in, in adolescents and young adults. And how we combat this is by instituting a regular wake schedule every day. So we have an anchor point where if your child absolutely needs to go to the bus at 7 o'clock in the morning, then you set your anchor point at 6 a.m., that 6 a.m. happens practically seven days a week with waking up at 7 a.m. on Saturday and Sunday, and then instituting a, a, a good nighttime schedule. So uh, circadian rhythm disorder uh, and uh, delays fate, uh, sleep phase, we talked about the treatment. Um, you have to modify using highly rewarding, modify the behavior using rewarding activities, um, such as social media. Say, you know, if you're able to um, uh, keep this sleep schedule, then you have access to media on the weekends. In our home, we instituted a, a, a period where there is absolutely no screens from Monday through Friday, and it's only on Saturdays and Sundays that the children have access to screens. That puts a high incentive on, on screen time. So uh, it... it uh, it has now uh, 
uh, up the value of that reward. Uh, oftentimes, screen time is used as a, uh, uh, a reward and a token economy, but because children have so much access to it, uh, that reward um, is, is not as salient. It, it doesn't mean as much if you get it all the time. Uh, chronotherapy, we talked about um, having a, a regular sleep-wake schedule and then a light. Um, so if you are trying to have your child wake up, there are various light techniques that can be used. They have light boxes that should be prescribed by a sleep physician. Uh, but uh, generally, uh, you um, give the child light in the morning to help them regulate to a more advanced sleep phase. And then melatonin can also help. Generally, uh, sleep medications are not necessary for children. Uh, we do not want our children to get addicted to sleep medications at this point in their life. Generally, uh, sleep issues are associated with pain, trauma, major life stressors, um, developmental disabilities. Uh, these are some of the things uh, that where you may consider medications um, in general. Uh, your children are not necessarily suffering from, from some of these, these issues. Uh, if you do have a child with severe developmental disabilities, there are some medications that can absolutely be helpful in terms of regulating your sleep. Melatonin is the most commonly used, uh, I am putting air quotes, medication. It's a, it's a supplement, a naturally occurring hormone, uh, that, uh, that is typically given to, to children of about three milligrams or less per night. This helps with circadian phase differential. It doesn't necessarily help with issues related to behavioral resistance to sleep. However, the placebo effect is very powerful. If you tell your child, uh, I'm going to give you this medication that's going to help you sleep, oftentimes it will help your child sleep. Even it's, it's their belief in the medication that really makes the biggest difference. Top sleep tips for you guys, uh, no electronic media in the bedroom. No electronic media within one hour of bedtime because that bright blue light will impact their circadian rhythm. Regular bedtime routines, routines, quiet and together time before bedtime, having a regular bedtime or regular wake time, comfortable sleep environment, cut out caffeine. Uh, your teens should never be driving sleep deprived and there should be a plan in place if, if your child is ever feeling sleepy as to how to get home, whether that be Uber or mom and dad. This is Louise. I'm back for Parent to Parent. We have in-person Parent to Parent teams at different around different military installations in the U.S. So we reached out and asked them if they could talk to some of their parents to get some questions for you today. So I do have a couple that relate to ADHD, if you're okay with answering that. One mom asked, if a child is diagnosed with ADHD, do they typically need more sleep than other kids? No, children with ADHD need the same amount of sleep as other children. The issue with ADHD is medications typically that are used for ADHD often impact sleep. So what we try to do is schedule those medications early in the morning so that the medication is wearing off by the time the child's ready to go to bed. And they're hopefully feeling pretty sleepy prior to bedtime. If your child is having difficulty getting to sleep and they have ADHD and are on these medications, 
modifying the medication dose with your psychiatrist might be helpful, or even changing to a different type of medication might be helpful to maximize sleep. Children with ADHD need the same amount, if not more, sleep as sleep absolutely impacts our ability to, in our executive function. So the more we sleep, the better we're able to organize things, the better we're able to moderate our emotions and behaviors. Uh, so your children with ADHD should absolutely be getting the same amount, if not more sleep. Okay, that's good to know. And the next question was about could medicines cause sleep disruption, and it could. So that's what you're suggesting. Just work with your doctor if you need to tweak that medicine the time it's distributed. Right. That makes sense too. Right. Yeah. Another question we had, and this goes along the lines of um, using like you said, the sound machine or music to fall asleep. So I liked that suggestion of the nature sounds. I think that's a good idea. What about audiobooks? Is that appropriate if a child is listening to an audiobook? Well, it, it's, it's all about what your individual child needs and, and is able to tolerate. If you have a child that falls asleep to an audiobook and they, they go to sleep pretty quickly, you, you check in on them, in say you know, 15 to 30 minutes and they're dead asleep, then, then it's absolutely fine. However, if your child, you check in on them in 30 minutes and they're still wide awake and an hour later they're still wide awake, eh, you probably won't want to use the, the audiobook. Maybe switch to something else. I think with audiobooks, uh, children may be anxious about falling asleep because they may miss something in the book. Uh, so my personal preference would be to stay away from audiobooks. However, if your child gets to sleep within 15, 20 minutes using an audiobook, that works for them, then, then that's that's great. That's a good rule of thumb, that 15 to 20 minutes. You talked a little bit about night terrors, so we did have a parent ask what they can do for a child that wakes up with those night terrors. For, for night terrors, they, tip to, they typically happen at a certain time in the night, uh, so if it's a regular thing that happens for your child, we can do scheduled awakenings, so as they don't get to that point in their sleep schedule where they automatically go into this night terror if it's happening frequently. And, and that's that's rare that a, a child will have night terrors as frequently on a four to five times per night type of basis. But if that does happen, you should work with your um, sleep specialist to, to think about uh, nighttime awakenings or there's even some medications that could potentially help. Well, that's good. Good, thank you. You did mention about the length of sleep time that kids should have. And if a child doesn't get that suggested amount of sleep each night during the week, can they catch up on the weekend? Does that really work? Their bodies will want to catch up. However, uh, they become what we call socially jet lagged. Uh, so it, it becomes very difficult for them to get back on the right schedule in subsequent days. Your, your children really shouldn't be as long as they're outside of that, that realm, like the, over five years old, really shouldn't be napping or taking naps during the, the weekends because it, it can definitely impact their ability to get to sleep at nighttime. So any nap that you're, you're doing during the daytime for your adolescents, say they, they, uh, they come home after school and they take a nap, just like you, their propensity to get to sleep at nighttime is absolutely going to be diminished and it's going to be, they're going to uh, start getting into these type of routines that then it becomes very difficult for them to get to sleep when they actually need to. So about that and sleep, what about weighted blankets? They seem to be advertised all over and does that help to try to keep kids asleep? And if so, is there like an age recommendation of when, like is that safe for little kids? So weighted blankets 
can be used. They should be used with caution for younger children because obviously, and typically they come with a age recommendation on them. Uh, Weighted blankets can be helpful for people suffering with anxiety associated with with sleep. And generally, uh, they are are safe and and, and can be helpful. It's all up to the parents just to make sure, especially you wouldn't want to use it for um, a toddler or anyone less than the age of, say, six, because then they run the risk of kind of being smothered by the blanket. I would agree with that as well. All right, I do have one more question for you because this one refers to older kids, teenagers, and we had one mom ask, they've heard that kids and teens who are in sports who may suffer a concussion shouldn't take sleep aids, and I don't know if this is in your realm or not, but because of the sleep disturbances, they could last up to a year. So is that something that melatonin would be in line with, and like, can you use melatonin if, if a child's been diagnosed with a concussion? You want to reduce the risk of concussion for your children. Concussion right. or, brain, uh, or brain bruises are never good, uh, and absolutely they can disrupt sleep. You really shouldn't, for all children, you really shouldn't be using any sleep aids whatsoever except for maybe melatonin until a child is 18 or, or, or older. The sleep aids that we typically use for adults work on a system called GABA. So it's like taking several stiff drinks. If a child has propensity to for addiction in their past, in their future or you know family history you don't want to be setting them up for needing to take a pill in order to get to sleep or uh, becoming reliant on a substance so in general we say that children shouldn't be using unless unless there's a significant issue like a developmental issue or an issue with pain they can use something for a short period of time or a significant trauma in their life uh, say the the death of a family member, then a short period of sleep um, a sleep aid can be helpful. But in general, uh, stay away from all sleep aids unless they're melatonin for children and adolescents. Thank you so much, and thank you for being here today. And thank you to all our listeners for joining us as well. Don't forget to check out our recorded webinar on the importance of sleep with children and teens. Have a great day. I want to thank you again for listening to our podcast, For the Sake of the Child. We would like to invite you to visit our website at www.militarychild.org. Like the MSEC on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. Please join us again next time as we share more stories that impact our military-connected kids.